This show and all the content on All About Beer is able to come to you each week, thanks to the companies that support our journalism through advertising. If your company is thinking about 2023 media plans, we have options for every budget. Email info at allaboutbeer.com to learn more. And thanks for the support and keeping us on air and online. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. From the hop fields of Germany to creating a non-alcoholic brew that creates true hop experiences, Jeff O'Neill of Industrial Arts is here to talk about his impressive brewery and the evolution of craft. And we're going to get into it all in just a moment. But first, All About Beer is back online, and it's producing original content for beer enthusiasts and professionals. Go visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we've set up a Patreon for both readers and professional companies in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. And for additional audio content, go search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice. You can listen to the shows that are now available, including Brewer to Brewer, the All About Beer podcast, and Beer Travelers. We're able to bring you this show each week. Thanks to the companies that support independent journalism in the beer space. You can learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates by simply emailing info at allaboutbeer.com. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Pro Brewer. We're bringing original articles to probrewer.com twice a week, covering issues important to the beer industry and ones that are aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand the different facets of the business. Check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and Thursday and visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. A few months ago, I was visiting Industrial Arts, which is a brewery in New York's Hudson Valley, to record a few episodes of Steal This Beer. Jeff O'Neill, the brewery's founder and brewmaster, was walking us through his impressive 100 hectoliter system while also sharing a sneak peek of some non-alcoholic beers he was working on. This week, those beverages are hitting the marketplace, and so it seemed fitting to have him on the show to talk about the evolution and the process. And we'll get to that later on in the show. But first, we're going to get into that brewing system, and he'll illustrate how it was constructed to benefit his IPAs, which are honestly some of the very best being made in America right now, and how that even extends into the fields. He's a member of the Hop Quality Group and spent time in Germany around the harvest this year and shares his observations and insights from walking those farms. Jeff, as you'll hear, is a thoughtful brewer. His career spanned more than 20 years, and he's worked at a number of breweries on both coasts before opening industrial arts about six years ago. From where it was at the start to where it is now is impressive to hear. And before we got started with this recording, he said he doesn't spend too much time brewing these days, but rather stands on the brew deck and points and tells stories. So that's where we start, with an extended index finger and this tale of modern engineering. Here's our conversation minute ago you said from the brew deck yeah and uh I, I made the joke that they don't let me on the brew deck anymore but it's not really true i go on the brew deck and point at things and then you tell stories and then i tell stories about those things <laughs> back in my day um yeah. or is this are these stories that you tell about your very impressive brand new brew house which i got to tour a couple months ago and Typically, all of the yeah. all of the, the the tricks and the bells and whistles and the uh, how you frustrated the German engineers with your 
oh, exacting I demands. I didn't. I don't. They were never frustrated. They they were just challenged. <laughs> let's. They I were, mean, let's start. Let's start there. Then, what were the challenges? Uh, um, for those you know, who I, are I, un, uh, unfamiliar, let's just like, the top overview of your uh, Cadillac isn't even a, a, a fair comparison because because uh, it's not a German car. <laughs> it's, it's not a German car, um, but it's so much nicer than a Cadillac because because it's not an American car. Okay. Uh, uh, you, you know the fundamental disconnect is that. Um, Germans know just about everything about brewing other than how to make IPA. And I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll disagree with me on that. Um, and the biggest challenge was in scaling our existing recipes from 25 hectoliters to a hundred. Um, we wound up with really large hop dosing rates that were out of whack with their, with their, default um approaches but they were again they were all about they were all about solutions uh to that and you know the biggest single the biggest single adjustment change or uh, uh departure that we made from our original plan was that this brew house uh, i think you'll remember this does does not have a a whirlpool uh, like virtually every other single brew house in the world of this size would. Yeah. Um, that we have a, a conical sedimentation tank um, that works on somewhat different principles than, than a whirlpool. And that was their solution to our recipe challenge that we presented with them, which is a, a, a wort that we make, our flagship wort that has no hop pellets added until after the boil is finished and the temperature is knocked down to uh, about 80 C rather than a hundred. Um, we add, gosh, I'll do it in metric, something like two kilos per heck of, of pellets to our word at that point. And when they, when they saw those, those values, I think they're, their eyes just about popped out of their heads like that does <laughs> the, that usage rate does not appear in a, in a textbook on on brew house construction um which they are you know and they're familiar with all of that all of those publications yeah uh, and they they had not seen a project asking for this before and they came back with this different differently conceived vessel uh that they've used for um they've used it a couple of times in other brew houses but not for hops um so what were they using it for previously you know that that's not really clear to me but i'm assuming okay. that it is for uh a yield like just a yield increase in a in a i don't know a, a, a beer you know this is a firm that makes the biggest brew houses in the world it's you know steinecker and they yeah. they um you know they probably build up to 2000 hectoliter brew houses uh, and they put them all over the world. And the impression that I got was that they had put some of these in, in some of their developing parts of the world where they've had projects. Uh, and it's usually because the inputs are so expensive, the fermentable, whatever the cereals are that they use um, are so sometimes hard to, to get to these remote sites. 
that they have no choice but to squeeze every last bit out of them. Uh, and this was a way that seemed to translate to our needs too. And I'm, you know, long story short, it does. We get terrific yields and um, we think it has some other benefits too uh, to but, flavor. Like what? Um, in a, and I'm sorry, I didn't explain this to your, to your listeners. Um, in a, in a whirlpool, you're, you're creating centrifugal force that moves the solids to the center of the vessel. And the, the, the vessel is a wide, flat, round tank. And it collects the trube pile there in the center. And it typically, you know, when you make a really nice trube pile in a well-designed brew house, it's sort of a cone uh, of, of mostly hop pellets, but some, some other proteins and, and um, solids that have carried through the process. And then you decant the liquid off of that pile, typically from the side of the, of the vessel. But the whole time that you're doing that decanting, you're pumping out to your fermentation cellar and cooling um, through a heat exchanger, the word is there sitting on the on those solids, whether they're hops or proteins or whatever. But specifically with hops, you are risking extracting more of the polyphenols and more of the um, more of the vet, more of the plant matter. Yeah. Uh, so you're sitting on that in a typical process, maybe 45 minutes to an hour before you've collected all the fermentable wort. And here, rather than decanting the liquid off of the solids, you're eliminating the solids from the, from a, it's a cone and the solids sink into the cone. And then we dump, dump the solids to, to the, to the drain rather than the other way around, which is pour, essentially pouring the, the liquid off of the solid. We're removing the solid and, and taking some of that risk out. And it's always, I, I try to stress this when I'm, when I'm pointing at it and telling the story, it's always a for better or worse proposition. Like we just think we we're able to make a different work than just about anybody else using a lot of very similar inputs. Like we're all making hazy, hazy IPAs with, with Citra and Mosaic. Um, we like to think that we are extracting the, the, the purest, uh, the purest expression of of those ingredients that we're putting in and, and just what we just the fractions that we want and and not some of the other stuff that can come along with it yeah i mean i i'm i'm, I'm fascinated by this because you know you're right everybody's making citra mosaic ipas these days but um yours do stand out i, I think flavor-wise where there is there's a richness and a vibrancy at the same time in in the beers that you make and i'm wondering where i mean so much of that is a brewer's expression right you can have the right tools and you can have uh, a, a beautiful brew house made to your specifications but so much of that is driven by what you wanted these beers to be and with this system in mind and, and and what you were just saying, how is, how is your thought evolution developed with the expression of hops that you want in your beers? Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, we came into this knowing that we, um, you know, we celebrated our sixth anniversary 
this past summer. Um, but we we came into this project with with a lot of experience beforehand. Um, and we knew we wanted to use as many different hop products as we could for most of our beers in order to create that depth of flavor. So even if we're making um, even if we're making what is ordinarily a you know a very typical at this point um, recipe, and let's just say it's you know barley and wheat and oats and citra and mosaic. And some cascade, right? For good measure. Sure. Um, we are using, you know, multiple lots of citra and mosaic, um, multiple lots and different products. Like uh, we might use the the standard T90 pellet uh, for one of the additions. With citra, we might use T45 in the in the sedimentation tank, and then it might be a cryo product in the in the dry hop. So you have citra, but it's three different citras that are all bringing some part of citra's personality to the to the party, but in their own in their own way. So you might have between the citra and mosaic, you might have five different six different actual products going in. And then forgive me because I left out the what I think is the, one of the really critical things to the way we develop the flavor in our words is uh, a hop back after that vessel. So everything that we're um, collecting there in the sedimentation tank and then sending out to fermentation is then going through another step, which is showering down through a bed of hole. And this is where we this is where we typically add the cascade. Um, that wort then showers down through another filter bed of, of, of you know, a quarter bale of, of cascades, which is 50 pounds, um, and gives it yet another layer of character. Okay. And again, I, I always, I always phrase it as, you know, it's, it's a for better or worse thing, um, because there we're actually sort of contrary to what I was uh, suggesting earlier there we are intentionally trying to pick up some of the some of the plant character some of the vinousness and sort of i don't want to say coarseness but some of the mouthfeel that can come along with that um and some of that real fine fine aroma that is like rubbing the actual raw material in your hands which um you know is a special treat that most brewers uh well you know, most brewers worth their salt do uh, uh, as often as possible, but something that most uh, of your audience maybe has never had the, the opportunity to do, yeah. which is to say, use the an un, not an unprocessed um, form of the ingredient, but but a minimally processed form, which is just the dried and baled flowers. Right. So we've made a point of, of that. Um, and as much as we like cryo and T90 and flowable stuff and, you know, all of the, all of the really later developments in, in, in hop, uh, products, um, there's nothing like that raw, that raw material. It's very ephemeral. It's very hard to keep in the, in the, product 
Yeah. So we think that last, that final step is really important to the way we, the way we develop flavor in our, in our work before fermentation. And then of course, a whole nother process starts once fermentation begins. And we think it's really important how and when we dry hop um, to get that, what we now, I think I'll agree the biotransformation is a big, a big part of, of what the successful, the most successful hazy brewers are doing. Um, and we have, you know, developed our own timing and techniques for doing that, but it's very distinctly a hot side pre, you know, the, the, everything that happens in the, in the cellar is, is predicated on, um, successful extraction on the hot side. Have you seen a change in consumer preference of over the last couple of years now that hazy new England, you know, in, in, insert whatever style name here, mm. um, has really sort of captured and I mean, it, it, it is obviously running the, the the show uh for smaller brewers these days and it, it does have um great crossover appeal for for a lot of drinkers um but when you just mentioned you know like the ones that do it well um have you noticed a consumer shift in the last i don't know year or two of people flocking to your beers um or even some of those other- oh, i wish i had noticed it more okay <laughs> <laughs> But that, um, but that consumers are now paying attention to, I, I know not everybody gets to do hop rubbings, but that are you hearing feedback of people who like get that what they're drinking is a little bit more special than something that was just kind of slapped together in the back room? I mean, I think we do, but it's a biased. We're hearing that over our tap room bar and we're hearing that in Instagram messages and it's, it's a captive audience. So, um, you mostly hear that the 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 real the, the praise like that is is usually from someone who is converted and understands or has just learned from one of our bartenders or 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 something okay. um, what we're doing that's different. But we do make a point of um, making sure that our team is armed with these talking points. Like that, this is different. We do have steps. We do have steps in our process that virtually no one else does, and we feel like they're important to to executing the beers that we want to make. And you know, I, th- I don't think that that's any different. If you go to the brewery down the street, I think they have their own, you know, their own um, critical control points. They the things that they think are their own, um, maybe not intellectual property, but but proprietary ideas or uh, real specific things that they do. Um, you know, your successful brewers that people are talking about and wanting to try their beers are, are all doing something a little bit different than, than everybody else. So it's, it's, I mean, it's totally necessary to have a point of difference. Um, when like we sort of qualified coming in, there's a lot of beers with very similar intent and very similar uh, ingredient profiles, um, making them stand out from each other is, is, is a challenge when there's 10,000, 10,000 people make 10,000 teams making really uh, similar products. 
but I feel like when someone like you th- indicates that they can perceive that difference, we've, we've done our job. So I think that's great. Oh, shucks. Um, should there be a need or could drinkers benefit from a more, I don't want to say streamlined process. Cause that that's, that's not fair, but a, you're you're pretty forthcoming with information on how you make your beer and which 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 is great and refreshing because there are people who have you know the proprietary stuff that they don't that they don't necessarily want to talk about but um i'm i'm thinking back to some of those early days of craft where it's you know rising tide raises all boats kind of thing mm-hmm. and there's still mm-hmm. a lot of middling beer that exists out there um especially in the hazy category and I- i'm wondering if there could be I want to talk about the hop quality group in a second because I know you're, mm-hmm. you're 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 part of that. But is there something that could be process wise put out there where it's, hey, we are the leaders in this in this field, and this is what we've seen that works, and um, everybody deserves better beer, and here's how you can do it on a small scale. Is is, is there something to be said for? I don't know better defining process yeah um yeah i think we're all in the i think we're i think that that that's happening it's it's um you know i i think there's more research being done in these areas all the time and certainly your bigger your national brands and your um you know and and i'm privy to some of this information through the hop quality group we know for sure that the bigger the bigger craft brewers have, you know, real R&D laboratories and they are um, really quantifying, you know, for instance, um, the, the markers they want to see for aromas in a hop variety. And they can take a sample and run it through um, a GC and they can see how, where the spikes are, where the, where the, where the characteristics of the, of the individual hop varieties differentiate from each other um and they can use you know science to get better at selecting their ingredients and and of course like the the gag that i want to say is sure i um, i'm transparent about how we travel to the ends of the earth to get the best ingredients that we can and i would encourage everybody to do that but if you can't it's it's a it's a little harder like so if you're talking about um you know, the neighborhood brewery that just opened in the last couple of years, or maybe just before the pandemic, they don't necessarily have their relationships in place or the resources to, to go to the farms in Yakima for a week, or even, you know, beyond that to, to the holler towel where we just were. Um, So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the same old gag as like, uh, you know, sure. I'm a, overnight 20, 20, 20 years overnight success story. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's, there aren't, there aren't a ton of secrets. Um, and the hop quality group that you mentioned there, like is it, you, you basically summarize the, the mission statement. It's like, we, we have changed how we use this ingredient. We're using it late in the process we're not we're in many or most cases now we're skipping the traditional kill step um that is part of the hot side of brewing and we're adding you know unto foreseen 
unhear how what's the un or un to here foreseen quantities of hops to to these fermentations like you know there are brewers out there adding five pounds of hops a barrel maybe more uh into their fermenters um and there's risks associated with that especially as pertains to food quality and you know the main mission of the of the group is to is to treat this ingredient like food not like a not like a commodity and not like a a brick of um i don't know of plant material it's food um and we want to make sure that the bar is raised on the on the quality and make sure that the um that we've standardized what kind of oils people are using on their conveyor belts and, and just make sure that everything is safe and fit and and in the highest quality that it can be. And so it's, it's pretty straightforward and it's a group of, you know, real forward thinking brewers who founded this, yeah. this, this organization. Um, and, and the evolution of the hop quality group, which you know, I've talked with other folks on the show about that of, I, I think it's been to the, to the whole benefit of the, um, of everybody who enjoys beer, not just producers, but, but, but drinkers as well. Um, yeah, and yeah, and that's that's like, and we can see it in real time, happening from annual visit to annual visit. When we go back to these same farms, you know, I've I've been visiting hop farms since two thousand and eight, and even over that time, um, you've seen a sea change in um, the capabilities and the tech that that even the data collection. Uh, and the same thing you see behind the scenes in, in a sophisticated brewery, uh, the, the best growers are using quantitative and qualitative data to grow better hops um, in the same way that these big, big brewers that, you know, are, have, have resources and large market, large market share. Um, they're using this very similar tools to make great beer. Yeah play to their um, strengths really it's figure out how to play to your strengths and you know a farm is a certain geographical place and some of it has more water and some of it has more sun and you might learn that you want your you know you want to pick simcoe a couple of days earlier or you want to pick um mosaic a couple of days later uh, and you can't you can't know that without without collecting the data from from harvest to harvest and that's been a really interesting thing to see happen is the the farmers and I don't want to like this is certainly not any kind of criticism, but um not sure that the tradition was always to think about it as as a food product. Mm. Where where do you think that they were thinking of it? Just as like a just straight up agricultural product? Yeah, without, like a well, yeah. and again like or a commodity. A, yeah, like a commodity. And I think that's largely, you know, it used to, the, the whole trade used to be controlled by a small group of brokers who they would they would go in and rate the quality of any given farm, and they didn't have the same the same analytical driven approach um, that brewers might. Uh, and the brokers were trying to get the best price from the farmers so they could make the most money from their brewer customers, and there was an opacity there. Um, between those tiers in a way that's maybe not that different from the tradition of um beer distribution in america um 
but that it was a much smaller group of people controlling supply. And now it's more crowdsourced for lack of a better term. Yeah. Like there's more of the, you know, the internet has connected us all and brewers uh, have a louder voice as do the farmers. Um, and I think it's benefited. I think it's benefited the whole, the whole stack. So I was thinking about how you were saying that you're, you're, that the Germans that designed your brew house, they rose to the challenges and with the hop quality group, you were in Germany this year, going through hollow tower. Um, how are those farmers? How is the German hop industry rising to the challenges of oh, today? Oh gosh. Oh gosh. I don't even know where to start with that. Um, <laughs> climate change is so welcome real to there. the Thunderdome. Yeah. Uh, climate change is, I mean, it, it, I, I'm, I just want to clarify here. I'm going to yeah. speak from, I, I went to the Holler Tau on behalf of the hop quality group. Okay. So the things I'm going to say here are my, are going to be my opinion and only my opinion. Okay. Um, because I'm, I'm unable to have anything other than my opinion. Of course. Um, but I did All go right. there as a You're representative. You're not speaking of, on of behalf the of the I'm larger. I'm not speaking. I okay. am not. All right. I will give you some high level observations. Okay. And number one is that climate change is, incredibly real um there in a way that it's the first thing that we talked about i visited 12 or 13 farms and it was the first thing at every farm uh they had the hottest summer in decades um they don't have water like we do in the in the northwest um the heirloom land race varieties that they grow um that you know a brewer like me thinks are really important to make a uh, an accurate representation of some of these classic styles uh, varieties like holler tower middle fruit um are very much at, at at risk um they don't yield as well or nearly as well in this climate as some of the later more recently bred varieties. Um, so for the last number of years there, maybe a decade or more, um, they've been acutely aware of climate change in a way, like it's just like, they're not debating whether there's climate change in Germany, there is. Uh, and he, that's sort of a, di a difference that I, that I see at the, at the fundamental level is that here we've got two Americas that believe two different things. Um, and you know the truth is somewhere in between but but yeah. climate change is real um so they are really worried because in general these are farms that have been growing these varieties for like maybe three or four hundred years like like 10 12 15 generations um farming the same the same fields and there's not more land they can't move over to Idaho. They can't move over to, you know, they can't just like keep growing outward. Uh, yeah. They have to grow, they have to, they have to yield um, a sustainable amount off of, off of a limited amount of, of acreage. So the, the, the fundamental difference is that where there are maybe 40 or so farms in, in Washington, mm -hmm. Washington and the Hollertau grow roughly the same, maybe Washington and Germany grow roughly the same, um volume of hops uh 
in Washington state, there are 40 or so. And uh, again, uh, don't, don't crucify me if I get these numbers slightly wrong, but I'm close. Uh, and maybe there are 11 or 1200 farms in, in, in Germany growing that same amount. So the farms are very much family run, family held, three generations working together. And what we saw a lot was um, the 20 or 30, 30-ish um, generation. And it's, it's, it's more male, more male dominated there than we, even we see here. So mm -hmm. it's typically, typically the, the youngest son and the father is, um, you know, if, if the son is 30-ish, the father is close to retirement age. And then wouldn't you know it in, in most of these settings, the grandfather was there still tinkering with the tractor or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing this like generational transition. Um, these, these older generations, they, they grew up as farmers. They didn't, they didn't necessarily go to, um, to university beyond high school. Um, but the younger, the younger, um, generation has, 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 has been educated and understands the science of agriculture. I think, you know, more and more each, each generation. Um, and they're very much in tune with, boy, the real challenges. And and they have this energy crisis there that yeah. was, was second, was the second, that was topic. the second thing that they brought up. Yeah. yeah. And their fuel costs have gone up 300% this season versus last and the yields are down because of the heat and the, you know, most of them were talking about hoping to, to break, like their best scenario was to break even this year. Um, Jesus. and wow. these are, you know, these are small, like these are small farms that don't, you know, I don't know. They've owned the land again for, for centuries. Um, but their whole families, you know, livelihood depends on, on this crop. Um, right. This, you know, th three or four weeks of, of picking. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's not the, the first off year they've had, but it would, it, but at each stop that, that grandfather would say it was the worst year he that he'd ever seen. Um, and we go to the, the, the research and development, uh, labs and test plots and greenhouses, and they are just united you know several different parallel breeding programs they're all it's the same thing uh it's too hot we don't have the we don't have the um the but the the inputs are getting more and more expensive and we need to breed varieties that will grow in this changed climate and without water and those are not necessarily the the noble hops that we know and love from our from our experiences so there's a there's an existential question about the these traditional varieties and i heard different different opinions like in 10 years there will be none of these uh sort of everything from that to no there this will still exist but you'll have to pay three or four times as much which again just breaks the model breaks the model for the brewer um so there's some shared there's some some shared pain points. And it's a lot of this. I think you and I have talked about this before, like these last couple of years, I've never, I've never felt. And maybe this is a universal thing at this point, like uh, my life was ripped from the headlines so much. 
right? Like you read about climate change in Europe and drought in Europe. And then I, I go there and I see it firsthand and it's super real. Yeah. Um, I think I told you last time you visited that when that, <laughs> when that ship was stuck in the Suez Canal, right? that was blocking some cans that we needed. Uh, it's like this thing with, you know, inflation when you're reading about it and people able to leave their, their manual labor jobs and make 25% more at a new job on Monday. Like we're seeing all that happen in real, in real life. Yeah. Um, so there's a certain, I don't know, shared, shared experience, uh, that was, that was really interesting to talk about with, with these with these farmers who certainly have a different perspective on the supply chain than, than I do. I mean, it's amazing to think that there are, you know, farmers and folks who are saying like 10 years from now, we might not have what we've been so used to in having in beer, you know, forever, you know, some of these varieties, some of these, um, you know, this critically important in, ingredient yeah and yeah. as much as i would like to you know say like oh that'll that'll that, that'll never happen um this is the darkest timeline and yeah we're like, living it i mean yeah. i don't want to be the i don't want to come yeah. on your show and be the most cynical person you've ever had on here but um we saw it, it's, it's a game of inches at this point <laughs> but yeah um you know it it does lead to progress sometimes, of course, like they, they, there's this also this terrific success story in Germany of this variety called um, uh, Hercules mm -hmm. and Hercules. And, you know, I've always thought of it just as a, a bittering hop. Um, we have never reached for it ourselves because there are bittering hops grown here in the U S that are more accessible and maybe less expensive um, and do the job. Right. Um, but Hercules is like this economically like super viable, uh, thing for these specifically for these farmers. And it's, it's partly because they have a different clientele at the end of the day, like American craft brewers are, are not the bread and butter of the holler towel, believe it or not. I was shocked to learn this myself. Um, what? Yeah. we are not the most important thing that they've ever heard of. Weird. Um, they are suppliers to the global, to the global brewing industry, which is, super you know old school and um makes you know makes beer like not they they're not making ipa right um they're making lager they're making industrial lager all over the world most of the beer consumed in the world is still is still this thing and they they typically these brewers want kilos of alpha right so they want they just want the the enough bitterness to offset the, the the malt character balance the malt character of their products and they don't care if the guy at the picker is smoking a cigarette and ashing onto the floor and there's you know they're going to boil the hell out of everything that comes their way right um so it's a, a different you know just a different perspective not not right or wrong um so these you know these concerns that have really just come up in the last decade or so here uh where where brewers have gotten more aligned and united uh, asking for the suppliers to recognize these these important um these important points in the process um we saw this you know in the, in the 
in the early 2000s and before that there were we had a much more limited palette to paint with we had sea hops and we had a little bit of simcoe um we had you know some aroma varieties that were that were specifically american but it was you know cascade and chinook and centennial and not a ton else and we've seen a tremendous effort in breeding and product development here to drive these newer aroma characteristics fruitiness and tropical characteristics you know it used to be we we loved sierra nevada because it was a little bit orangey and now you see people talking about you know now you see brewers instagrams talking about um lychee fruit i've never had lychee fruit i had my oh, first oh, you uh, haven't lived you haven't lived i had my friend. first gooseberry like two weeks ago john <laughs> like, like he, for real or in an ipa for real oh okay like the first time i knew i was eating a gooseberry it was really good it looked like a little cherry tomato i don't know if i've ever had a gooseberry to see but you do have you ever described a beer as having gooseberry character no 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 I can't you're imagine. A, you're I can't I'm imagine. Glad, I'm glad. I can't. Oh, well, because I don't know. What it I don't know what it tastes like. I don't. At his house. Oh shit! <laughs> he's got it. He's got a whole grove. <laughs> he's got a whole grove of them. Um, in an no, I mean, so, so you know what I'm saying, somewhere. right? Like we used yeah. to have a, a much more limited palate. Um, I this month from where I was observing this this other industry in this other country. Um, they're going through a, they're, they're at the beginning of a correction that, that we've just gone through maybe in the last 10 years where there's an audience seeking a different, uh, different qualities from a traditional product, using them and using these ingredients in, in different ways than they have traditionally. Um, and that takes some time to filter through the, the supply chain. Um, and the supply chain, as you have probably seen, is fairly busted right now. So we are, we're trying to, battle some of those challenges with increased communication. And I think it always comes down to that. Like we all are in the same business and we all want the same thing at the end of the day, which is, which is tasty beer that, that customers will pay for. Cause that's ultimately, um, you know, that's ultimately why you have a podcast. Yes. Um, I just looked it up while we were talking just to see, uh, gooseberry gets a mention in the craft brewery cookbook, uh, my latest book, and it's in the wine section of, <laughs> yeah, of the sure book it's... that Lauren Buzio wrote. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have never actually used the word and she used it as a, uh, um, descriptor for some New, New Zealand. Zealand, New Zealand. Yeah. 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 So, um, so no, I said it I've first, never, right. I didn't, I yeah. said it before you. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically never... it's in New Zealand, specifically it, it gets mentioned in, um, in New Zealand varieties, um, Nelson, um, Matueka. Yeah. There's nothing on the search of all of my hard drives. Uh, the only gooseberry mention comes from that particular chapter in the book. Um, you mentioned some of the larger breweries and I, I want to keep talking about Germany a little bit, but it's interesting now that you, you're, you are thinking about some of these, these macro forces and, you know, what they want, which is different from what you want in the hop quality group and certainly what you want um, for your brewery. And while I think there's always been this narrative of you know, us versus them or, you know, David Goliath or et cetera, et cetera, um, there's also been 
a settling in the last couple of years of people understanding what macro is, people understanding what craft is, um, or independent or you know small whatever, um, and just kind of coexisting. Yeah, maybe? I thought no. I thought maybe nobody cared anymore. Yeah, um, I kind of hope nobody cared anymore. <laughs> no, I know. I, I don't quite mean that. I know, um, but 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 when you start talking about crops now and you start talking about hops as a food product or not you know just as a commodity um it it sort of brings that conversation i don't know to a deeper level to a new level a different level i don't i, I don't really quite know but it seems to be there's new things to be thinking about especially under the auspices of what you were learning in germany mm-hmm Mm-hmm. No, there's a commonality, of course. Um, and and I don't mean any of what I say to denigrate global brewers. I mean, they are many steps ahead of most. No, you said they're putting brewers, out their Marlboro um, lights in uh in alpha acid hops. That's <laughs> that's what I heard. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was afraid that that was what you heard. Um they just had they have I almost made a route beer joke when you said it, but then they, I they have they uh, have you know they just have myself. they have different priorities and um different different drivers and they're not, you know they, they have a different a, a different market. Um yeah. and that distinction that we're trying to make as as tiny little players in this in a global game that is um that is beholden to market forces, which I'm learning more and more uh, as we as we have scaled up, you know, to the around the 20, 25,000 barrel uh, size, like some of some of these market forces insulate us from wild swings, some of them limit us from growth, and some of them um, have benefited us at times. And I think like we uh, we're all swimming in the same, in the same stream. Um, and you can, you can only, you can only go against the current for so long and, and to, to so much, uh, to so much success. I want to, yeah, go ahead. All right. I was, I was, since dead air there. So I was going to tag something on, but no, no, no tag on. Uh, no, and I was just going to say something like, and ultimately at the end of the day, we all want a, we all want a healthy market for, you know, what is still the, the world's favorite alcoholic beverage. Um, so there's more alignment. I mean, I think there's more alignment than not, uh, at the end of the day. It's fitting that that pause was uh, a dramatic effect uh, gravitas before a, a, a new question. That's, that's what I was, um, you know, I certainly wasn't playing solitaire on my computer. Um, um, Cause you I were Googling do, lychee fruit. Right? I, I was trying to figure out where I can get fresh gooseberries. Um, Cause I don't want any frozen uh, frozen in the house. I, I mean, have them, you ever had actual passion fruit? Yes. I'm not sure I have. Okay. Had passion fruit juice. I don't think I've ever had it fresh. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I well, see, now I'm doubting myself. Like, I don't have a specific memory of eating passion. I've certainly had it uh, uh, in juiced form, but 
I imagine on travel. I mean, the most honest, I think the most honest play, and I'm I'm digressing now, but I think the most honest flavor descriptors we see is like a watermelon Jolly Rancher. Yeah. (laughs) Or peach ring candy. Um, It's just interesting. I guess the point I was trying to make is a generation ago, we would say, oh, this tastes like oranges or maybe even tangerines, which are exotic oranges. (laughs) And now we've got this whole other... uh, whole nother level of um vocabulary which is great as long as you are familiar with the definitions of each of them yeah well i mean i have sat down over the last couple of years and you know uh we're lucky we have a, a a really great produce um store not too far from me and i'll go in and just buy stuff and mm-hmm. you know cut it up and i'll you know eat the eat the pith eat the the mm-hmm. the, the skin or the rind you know just to try to understand the different parts of it and that's been exceptionally helpful with citrus of you know everything from grapefruit and oranges but different types of oranges mm-hmm. to that's great you know certainly tangerines and things like that because like, I, I i do like that that descriptor but um i mean you bring up a great point with gooseberry of there are you know people who will say oh yeah no you really get the gooseberry out of it but um how many people are actually eating those or how many people are eating fresh you know, yuzu fruit or yeah you know yeah. buddha's that was hand on the tip of, or, that was on the tip of my tongue yeah i, I yeah. mean there's all there's all these different things um out there um you mentioned when we were talking about some of the macro guys um that you know beer is still the the most popular alcoholic beverage you are now firmly in the non-alcoholic space. Oh, yeah, yeah. We just, uh, I wouldn't say firmly. We've launched wow. a non-alcoholic line of beers this week. So it's sort of, sort of tenuous today. Um, but we're really excited about it. And we've been working on that for a full year uh, internally to, to get it to the point um, where we were even close to comfortable putting it in the market. Um, and it's been a really fascinating experience um very challenging uh because i think a lot of our a lot of our preconceptions about what we do are couched in the inherent safety of beer um you know this old adage about beer being safe you know was safer to drink than water through through lots of recorded history um because of even the smallest amount of alcohol uh killing almost all of the known pathogens that could live in something like that so uh that is not the case with non-alcoholic no uh specifically non-alcoholic beer style beverages and this is the thing like the vocabulary has in like so many of the 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 phenomena today and tomorrow in the past even vocabulary it doesn't get there as fast as the product maybe does. Um, we are we are stuck using beer terms uh, as this, like we're calling it non-alcoholic beer. It is not beer. The definition of beer is that it's alcoholic. Um, so it's sort of a, uh, there's a conflict there. And it's almost like carries through or carried through to a lot of our assumptions about how to how to make this product. Like, all of our experiences rooted in in beer and um we learned that that leaves some some significant amounts of risk uh for uh pathogens like listeria um like uh botulism 
mm-hmm. um, things things that can make you pretty sick, very sick, maybe kill you. Um, it's not, you know, it's not to say that, you know, non-alcoholic beer out at the store is, is not safe. I mean, I mean, give everybody the benefit of the doubt and say that they learned this stuff along the way that you have to control uh, your pH and you have to pasteurize this and you have to, you have to focus on putting something that is safe out there. Yeah. Um, I know that was not, that was not, um, that was not as obvious to us as I wish it had been. And it slowed us down. Um, but also we had a lot of supply chain challenges with this, uh, which, which honestly bought us some time to work through some, some of the things that go on in the background to, to make sure that what we're doing is, is, um, is relatively free from health risk for anyone. Yeah. Um, so there's the, it, it's been a very interesting process and we're trying to, we're trying to stop. I'm, I'm digressing here, but the main point is we are, we're doing all we can to stop saying beer when we talk about this product. It's so it's what are you trying to say that? So what, beer, what's more? it's, well, we put several different things on the can itself. You're not allowed to say beer per the TTB and FDA. So for instance, the header is non-alcoholic brew. Um, you can say IPA because that really means nothing. It's not a, (laughs) you can't say India, you can't say India pale ale. Right. But you can say say ale, you can't use the word ale or lager or porter or stout or any of those like sort of idiosyncratically protected, um, styles. Uh, so we say non-alcoholic brew. We say near beer. We say non-alcoholic brew again. And then in the side panel, we say cereal beverage, brewed oh. and canned. Um, just to sort of check, it's been a moving target what the what the regulatory agencies are looking for. So we tried to hit all of the known um, compliance terms so that it is explicit that you know we are using that we are using the the, the 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 little acronym IPA because you know we think that will drive some sales. But then we have to be very careful to be sure no one thinks that it is actually an IPA that will uh, deliver alcohol into their system. So it's interesting. You're saying one thing and then sort of uh, undoing it with some of the other some of the other um, details that are here on the on the label. I'm looking at it right now, which is yeah. All right, so. There's a lot I want to ask you about this then. Yes, sorry. Um, the first one being, why walk down this path? It's a great question. I was on vacation last summer, summer of 21. And I was trying to, I was trying to be un, unplugged for a few days. And I got a couple of voicemails from my main wholesaler partner. Um this is the the wholesaler that we probably sell seventy five percent of our of our beer through, and they okay. represent us and they represent so, us in a, a big part of our territory, not just in New York, but. Um, so that's a call you take when you're on vacation, yeah. Well, I could tell that he he tried twice, right? Okay. But I remember exactly where I was when I called him back. I was at a I was at a post office, um, putting something in the mail, and I was in the parking lot because I I didn't have good good cell reception where I was. So I called him back. 
And I said, Hey, what's, what's going on? And he said, well, I want to ask you something. I don't even want to ask, but I figure I have to ask and got to ask this. And I'm like, just tell me what, what, <laughs> what? And he says, uh, would you ever make a, would you consider making a non-alc? And, you know, I, I kind I think I groaned when he said it. Um, one of, one of my, uh, one of my partners, an investor who I don't even know very well, but has been in with us since day one, um, has peppered me with every article about athletic that's been published in the last four or five years. Um, and he, he was ahead of the curve on this a little bit older than me. Um, and he would send me, you know, a, a vine pair article about athletic tearing up the scene with non-alcoholic IPA. And he'd say, listen, um, I drink one ranch and one athletic and then one, another ranch and go to bed. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's, that's nice. That's, that's cool story uh we're focused on you know we're focused on what we're doing we're ipa brewers it's working um and then we built this bigger brewery right we, we finished it last summer we had just finished it actually before i before i took this call and it's clear that we have you know more capacity than i had ever imagined coming into this and and that this channel is developing and just to get back to the phone call yeah I groaned and I said, why, why are you asking me? And he's like, well, you know, you're our number one supplier and like, we could really get behind it. And, you know, I start to, okay, start to see, you start just there to even see an opportunity. And then he tells this story and he says, uh, so, uh, full disclosure though. Um, I, I turned down athletic and it's the worst decision I ever made. So when athletic was shopping for wholesalers, they identified, you know, uh, they, they reached out, they said, you know, we have this great idea or we're willing to spend behind it. And he, he basically said hard pass. <laughs> and he's like trying to undo this mistake and to an extent. And just that, like, just that admission there is something, um, you know, when, when your wholesaler, the, the, I can only speak for, for myself, but when yeah. our wholesaler identifies an opportunity and says, gosh, I think my number one partner could really execute this well. And, and I'm willing to uh, get behind it, spend behind it. I see this opportunity that we missed and can, can, can maybe um, capitalize on by, by working together on, like it, it was compelling. It, it stood yeah. out to me. And at the same time, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting any younger and, I think maybe that week I was trying to drink less while I was on vacation. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll try a couple of these. And I did. And uh, I kind of finally got it as a, as a 40 something year old man who's, who's, you know, been eating and drinking for a living for a while. Yep. Uh, there, there are limits. Right. And yeah. I don't want to stop. I don't want to, I don't want to stop enjoying our products. But for sure, there's a, there's a point at which you got to slow down, and um, this is a way to be to to be faithful to the same sort of things we like. Like um, you know, we're we're really really focused on the the way the ingredients come through in these products and and the points of difference that that we can make. And you know, I really I really think that these first few batches um, 
and again, we've made it 20 different batches behind the scenes, yeah. but these first few batches that we release are going to be the, the, the best non-alcoholic IPAs that most people have, have tried the most faithful, you know, the, the most, um, reasonable IPA substitute so, that you, that you can find. All right. So this, this is where I wanted to, uh, um, you, you set this up perfectly because I've, I've, as also a 40 something year old guy who eats and drinks for a living, um, I've been drinking a lot more non-alcoholic and I've been much like your, 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 your buddy or your partner. Um, I'm substituting as well. You know, I'll have you know two regular beers and then I'll switch to NA mm -hmm. uh, just mm -hmm. so I can get up the next morning. And I've been going for, um, you know, I'll drink athletic. Um, I think they, 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 they do a nice job. Um, there's some others out there that, 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 that I enjoy. Um, but the Heineken one, um, I've been drinking because it tastes like Heineken and mm -hmm. I like the taste of Heineken. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, you know, it's not sure. a lot to sure. it, but it's, you know, but it tastes like a beer. Whereas when you were getting this project rolling and Augie and I were there for steal this beer and you gave mm -hmm. us athletic beer, I knew exactly what it was because there is a, a, a flavor to their beer that is not replicated in or the flavor in their product i'll say i'll, I'll try to stop saying beer yeah um, it's, it's hard it's a challenge yeah but uh, there's a flavor in their product that is telltale that does not show up in what i think of as traditional beer um you know it has this sort of unfermented wart uh taste to it i think you said tea like in the moment. yes yes um which is true and and so it's sort of telltale so there's this this thing where for me the heineken tastes like heineken except it's got no booze um the athletic tastes like athletic and i can say sure like this has a hop content to it or you know this is malty this is nice like it's sort of reminiscent um but where is the line or where's what are you striving for with yours where do you want people to to in a blind test say oh wow this is a good hazy ipa or do you um, want them to say, you know, wow, you know, this is non-alcoholic and I can't believe it. Like what? Yeah, that we're line? not, we're not trying to get, we're not trying to gotcha anybody. That's for sure. I think we like that, that disclosure of it being non-alcoholic, that's the selling point. So, so we're not trying to, um, but are the expectations that it should well, taste like a, a beer? Good, it's a great question. Um, it's, the, the, it's really hard to do. Right. Um, right. And the reason why the Heineken and uh, you probably have tried the Guinness one. I have. So those start as actual Heineken and actual Guinness. Right. right. And then they are they are run through um, through uh, dialysis filtration or 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 some kind of um, reverse osmosis that removes the alcohol from from the product. It takes some of the other stuff with it, not just the alcohol. Um, and those, that equipment requires massive investment, like, like you, like you can't imagine maybe. Yeah. Um, and you know, athletic is fairly tight lipped about how they, how they make their product, Yeah. but there's only a couple of ways to do it. Um, and we think our approach is more like theirs than like Heineken's. So I'll say that. Okay. Um, what we are trying to do with the IPA specifically is, is 
communicate the hop hop aroma, right? Which is the which is for my money is the, is the the thing that differentiates IPA from from every other beer is it starts with how it smells, and it's very difficult to maintain a strong hop aroma through the process of pasteurization. Yeah, um, you have to you have to cook these cans after they're after they're filled. And if you're dry hopping like you would a beer, you're gonna add when at that step is gonna change the profile, change the profile of the product, um, skew it more bitter, most likely. Yeah. And this is where a lot of these, what do we like to call them, um, advanced hop products. Uh, there's some new flowable liquids that are only, you know, I'm just gonna spitball here only have the beta acids or are already isomerized or don't don't turn bitter and and this is you can i think that day we we drank the lagunitas one as well uh do you remember yeah maybe i think we had the ipna yeah and that one that one has very distinctive um hop aroma and knowing what i know you only really get that aroma with with one of these like it's not the raw hop it's it's a it's an extract that is um, made stable by some some laboratory process. This is not a knock. I think it's it's remarkable. No, no, no. I get it. I know. Yeah. Um, but we think that I'll agree with you. I don't think Athletics IPA has a lot of hop presence. So we see we see space to riff on that and and bring a little bit more of that. People obviously it looks like their number one skew is is their ipa Mm -hmm. Um, that tracks with everything else that goes on in craft beer um and we perceived that there was space for a more expressive non-alc ipa um and we think that some of the same some of those same um tools that we have in our brew house to make stable aroma in the wort that we use to make beer um also gives us a point of difference in the non-alc field where we are making those stable aroma aroma compounds on the hot side that then can survive that pasteurization step. So that's where we see our point of difference is um, we're not trying to make a, and this is a question I've heard a bunch, um, we're not trying to make non-alcoholic wrench. We're trying to make the best expression non-alcoholic expression of ipa that we can because to do it to you know uh it's if we were a a company of the scale of a guinness or a heineken um with a flagship like guinness or heineken um there would be an intrinsic demand for a non-alcoholic version of exactly that that beer and those those two brands have done a remarkable job of executing that Mm -hmm. um but here we think there's more there's more white space for for a new product um, that doesn't have to exactly mirror or mimic something we're already doing. Yeah, so it's a yeah it it it, it complements rather than acts as a replacement. Yeah, it's in a sweet spot for us, and then yeah. that's the trick with everybody's business. I think whether it's in our industry or some other one that I know nothing about. Um, you got to play up your strengths and 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 downplay 
your deficiencies. And this is something that we can do really well. I dig it. Um, and it's out now. It's out now. Yeah. We just launched it in uh, New York and New Jersey and Connecticut last week. Uh, oh. Pennsylvania will get it. Um, oh, Pennsylvania. We shipped some yesterday to Pennsylvania. So it should be hitting shelves by the end of the week there. Um, it'll be in New England before very long okay. and up, upstate New York uh, next week as well. All right. And so. I'm sorry, I should also, I'm, I'm bearing the lead here. Um, we also have a pill style um, wow. that we are canning tomorrow. The first batch that we will release is getting canned tomorrow. And that is maybe um, more, more beery, like more just, <laughs> more just like beer. Um, and we're sort of going after two different drinkers here. One is the, one is the crusty old hop head that's who's who for whatever reason i don't want to again it's like it's there's i want to destigmatize this because i think it's happening organically it's like um sobriety is there's i don't know there's something cool about sobriety now um <laughs> yeah and i think it's, I'm it's not happening laughing. i'm not i'm not laughing at you know what i'm saying right no, it's, I, it's, I, weird. I do. it's like it's great i mean it's great and you know as a father of kids who are coming of age like these kids are different today they're not they're not trying to party like my 10th my 11th grader now he's not sneaking out of the house he's not doing crazy things that sounds um, like you just didn't do your job right <laughs> um it's 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 just a different it's a different time and people have a disposable income that they you know well in a lot of cases maybe maybe less so today than last year but um, they have a budget that is earmarked for good food and drink, maybe, yeah. and an occasion where they can't drink today, whether it's because they have to go pick up their kids at soccer or, um, I don't know, they're on a medication or just need, to your point, just need to get up early tomorrow morning, but don't want to drink just water or seltzer or soda or something. They want something that's um, more in line with their taste preferences and there's a there's a market for this today yeah and i i understand it better as a consumer than i did uh you know five five years ago no i'm uh yeah i i i'm i'm enjoying it for all the reasons that you just said as well and just it's it's nice to have these alternatives and for one, you know, if, if I want to drink like an NA beer, um, it doesn't taste like a punishment or that, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, being able to get up and be productive the next day is also, uh, enormously helpful. And I'll say, you know, I, um, this would tie it back a little bit into this Germany trip. Yeah. Uh, every brewery that we visited there made at least one non-alc beer and they're, they're a decade ahead of us on this. Yeah anyway and you know they take drunk driving i think a lot more seriously there um just good yeah 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 and there's there's a certain you know we're talking about an industry that's maturing um and trying to you know maybe if not repent for but rein in some of the questionable behavior of the first couple of decades that maybe uh this is a a, a good a, a good indicator um 
that when you know thought leaders like you are talking about this on your on your podcast is something that you enjoy i think it's uh i think it's really really helpful to get people past you know we have we've all lived through this uh the ibu wars and <laughs> it's fascinating to me now like i feel like i'm do, making a non-alk ipa is like the polar opposite of what i was doing 10 years ago which was trying to make the strongest beer the most drinkable I mean, the most drinkable strong beer you could and pack the most hop flavor into a 10 percent beer and make a drink like a pale ale um here we're doing the opposite we're trying to pack uh flavor into something that that doesn't have any alcohol and what a time to be alive yeah, yeah i mean it's it's a it's been a, a very very big challenge for us and there have been some setbacks along the way but i think it's uh you know it could be a, a really significant part of our portfolio moving forward well i'll have to uh head out to the stores in jersey you know and i'm not even sure, sure i've said I, uh, you know it's called safety glasses oh have we even said that no safety safety glasses ipa and pills and you'll see it um certainly throughout the tri-state area uh, in the very near future if not already and then um in new england and and in the rest of our footprint just behind that so i know we i i originally said oh i'm gonna need you for 45 minutes and we're coming up on 90 <laughs> now um so uh with that in mind i've been asking folks on the show the green door question which is there's a television show called the good place and i'm not sure if you're familiar with it or uh, not, barely but, yeah, yeah okay in the final season they introduce a ted concept danson is of, on this show right he is american treasure ted danson yeah <laughs> yes uh andy mcdowell's husband yes um uh or mary steenburgen i'm sorry yeah yeah, andy yeah. mcdowell jesus that's uh um <laughs> This is all the more reason that I should be drinking non-alcoholic beer. Um, they introduced this green, the concept of a green door where you can walk through it and be anywhere at any point in history. Oh, um, gosh. And so oh, if there man. was a green door on this plane of existence and this conversation was over and you could oh. walk through the green door and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere any in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you Oof, be drinking? Man, you didn't you didn't prepare me for this. I've been asking this question on the show for like two years now. Oh, does, is this the part where I say I've never listened to your show before? Yep, hundred percent. That's it. That's fine. <laughs> You're a busy man. You're launching non-alcoholic um, brands. You have like nineteen children. I, I I know how busy you are. It's it's, it's fine. Gosh. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know. Okay. Okay. This 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 answer is not necessarily my permanent answer, right? That's the one that's going to get recorded. It's the one that's going to get recorded. <laughs> what brewery or pub would I want to be at drinking what and with who? I love I love how you're stalling on this by the way. It is it's a masterclass in racking the back of your mind while just saying random words. And yeah, I'm helping yeah, you out yeah. here by now yeah, yeah, by yeah, calling yeah, you yeah. out on this to give you more time to be thinking about. You know, I, so I, on this on this trip I just made last month, I visited a really remarkable place and it really it, it felt it felt this way like um like I just fell into like I just fell into something that was that was not possible. Um and I think I'm going to, this is a little bit of a cop out because I'm going to name, um, a place where I just, where I just was, but it was, 
incredible and i and i recommend it to anyone um uh, the, the, the stiegel brewery in salzburg in austria they've been making um their lagers for almost 600 years and uh i will say that i would like to have been in virtually any pub in salzburg drinking stiegel with mozart wow during the time of mozart okay that's how a about great that answer. that's a great answer or any worth- of those or any of those uh any of those great thinkers of that time um if just to see uh how, how much beer was a part of of that culture yeah or how i uh, you know how much more prolific he could have been if there were some na options yeah maybe maybe um i don't are you, are you maybe are you familiar with that brand beyond the rattler that they made no uh it's it was really eye-opening to me the scale of uh, yeah when you say Stiegel, all i think about is grapefruit juice right right and i i happen to love that product myself oh yeah um, i mean as far as like na's go or near to like what is it like two oh, it's like two percent yeah two, yeah. two point something yeah um we drank a lot of that when we were building or building our original brewery before we had our own beer to drink actually it was somewhat somewhat safe to drink uh during the afternoon right sure um they have a just a incredible operation um and this was shocking to me they they make about a million hectoliters which puts them just about the size of like sierra nevada yeah um with all austrian grown ingredients and in my 20 some year career I've never even thought of the existence of Austrian malt and hops because they own that stack. Like there's, there's an Austrian malt industry and an Austrian hop growing industry, and it doesn't even make it out of Austria, uh, which is something that, that really impressed me as a person who at least purports to be interested in, in making New York state grown beers. Yeah. Um, what a ch- knowing what a challenge that is uh, to think about the scale, you know, we might make 500 barrels of New York state grown beer in a year. So they're doing two, 200 times that. Huh. No, wait. No, 2,000 times. Times that. that, yeah. 200. I'm doing my math wrong. <laughs> if we made two times that, it would be 1,000. And then 200 times that would be 100,000. And then two, 10 times that would be a million. And oh, okay. New York State is bigger than Austria. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> they make fantastic beer. They give a great tour and they are um, really, really admirable admirable company well i did yakima this year for hop harvest it seems to me that oh we great we try to do germany next year if uh if possible so yeah uh, yeah well i'll give you some i'll give you some I'll, pointers and introduce you to some people i will i will ask you for that yeah um, absolutely well i'm gonna let you get back to your day thank you for thank you john thanks for thinking of me doing for this. this and yeah of course and um 
I will say, because I, I, I've said this before, but your uh, new brewing facility, uh, all, all of the bells and whistles, all of the superior German engineering, um, it's just a great spot to go and Well, visit. we're lucky so that, we're lucky that this stuff is available at, at a smaller scale. Um, yeah. And it's relatively newly you know, available to, to a brewer of our size. And um, we're glad to we feel really lucky to be able to try out some of these technologies and see how they apply to uh, this new school of, of brewing. I think we're really, we're really lucky to be able to be a part of the uh, part of the process there. And I think, you know, when, uh, when a traditional supplier like Steinecker can, can, you know, use their resources to help to solve a problem and do it successfully, then that, that benefits someone else down the road. And, uh, we're interested in being part of the part of the um, development of the industry for sure. And totally interested in sharing our experiences with others. I think that's was something that um, really helped us, me get to where we were is the, the generosity of other people with their, with their knowledge. And um, none of this is, none of this needs to be any big secret. I mean, you need great ingredients and, and, airtight practices and repeat and repeatability. And um, we've just invested in some tools that help us help us be sure that we have that. Um, so anyway, we're really well, looking forward to this next evolution uh, with, with these, with these adjacent products um, and excited that there seems like there's a market for them. So onward and upward. I love it. I love it. And everybody should go and visit you in person as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Anyway, so ask for safety glasses at your favorite uh, favorite <laughs> retailers. And they don't have to be strictly beer stores. That's, That's another, right. There's a whole other universe of uh, places where these can go that don't require uh, an alcoholic beverage license, which is which just kind of grows the grows the audience, I think. I dig it. Thanks yeah, again. Man. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Just a quick programming note. This week marks the third anniversary of the show. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. And thank you for the support, the encouragement, the feedback, and all of the suggestions. So tell me how the show can improve. Who do you want to hear and what do you want discussed? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can share your thoughts on Twitter at John underscore Hall. All About Beer is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just follow along at All About Beer. And of course, this weekend, Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Beer. We're able to bring you the show each week, thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you would like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Pro Brewer. We're bringing original articles to probrewer.com twice a week, covering issues that are important to the beer industry and ones that are aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand the different facets of the business. Check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and Thursday and visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. Finally, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And don't forget, go visit allaboutbeer.com. 
As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>